ding dong, ding dong, the wicked witch is dead. Come gather around and rejoice with me, my friends, my brothers, my sisters. If you haven't heard, if you've been living under a rock or you don't follow soccer, Tommy Tukes, former manager of Chelsea, is no more. We have a loaded show to talk about today. I am fully excited for Donnie to bring up the Tuchel v. v Gates scoreboard, uh, as well as regaling a whole lot of what the fuck went down with Chelsea, and also carving out a few minutes here or there to talk about non-Chelsea stuff, as it's been a few weeks since we last recorded. But first... To the byline. It's in, it's an up goal! It's a gift! He's almost done well to get that in because he's ahead of the near post. It's almost behind him. Sticks his left leg out. It almost hits his heel. And goes straight into the bottom of the corner. Bottom corner of the net. Gets ahead of the ball. It's the inside of his car. As everyone knows, we've been following one saga in particular. David versus Goliath. Tuchel v. Gates, the ultimate battle of wits between my good friend and a very, very, very skinny, strange German man. And finally, we have resolution. Gates has catharsis, and there is one man standing, and he is not German. I'm not going to lie. Things were not looking good for your boy. Uh, after that pretty quick turnaround at Chelsea Tuchel had in a Champions League victory. Things were, you could say, dire. But in the end, not just justice, but the side of good and light won out. Yeah, so let's um, paint the road of what's happened in the last few weeks because a lot has happened. And we'll start by recapping Chelsea's transfer window, where... I'm going to throw out a few stats before we kind of get into the specifics of who, yeah. what, when, yeah. where. A couple of important stats to know. Number one, Chelsea spent over $300 million in the transfer window. <laughs> that is so much money. They have, in fact, shattered the record for the most amount of money spent in a transfer window by a Premier League club. The second and very important stat to note as we're going to talk about things is that 200 out of that $300 million was spent on defensive players. And that's going to be very important when we talk about Chelsea's play. So, who all did Chelsea sign, Gates? Well, you know, they brought in, as you mentioned, several defenders. So, from the entire window, we saw Koulibaly come in, but we talked about that last podcast. We saw a very interesting bid accepted from Mark Cucurella, which is interesting because Chelsea have already spent a fuck ton of money on Ben Chilwell, They've spent, what, over a hundred plus million on two left wing backs now between the two of them. And it's not like there's room on the right side because Reese James has probably been Chelsea's best outfield player. Yeah. Uh, I don't even think that's up I don't yeah. even think that's up for debate. I actually think it, including Mendy, I think he's been their best yeah. player. Mendy's period. actually been kind of kind of poo poo uh, a, a little bit lately. He's, he's having a bit of a rut. He's having a bit of a rut. Uh which is, we'll actually talk about it in a second. But um Wesley Fofana was signed, and, I mean, that's just on the defensive side. They also, shock, end of transfer deadline day, brought in Dennis Zakaria from Juventus, which makes no sense. He's um, a box-to-box-ish midfielder. And then we also had 
the briefest reunion of all time, Pierre Emmick Aubameyang re- reuniting with his old Dortmund manager, Tommy Tukes. Um, and I know we've been teasing things to talk about later. That reunion lasted 58 game minutes um, of Aubameyang playing in the Champions League and Tommy Tuchel got yeah, and uh, $14 million plus Marco Alonso went the other way on that uh, Aubameyang deal. Um, $14 million plus Alonso for a player that went to Barca on a free. Yeah, that that was actually surprisingly good business by Barcelona, <laughs> all things considered. Wait, they, wait, wait was, that, was that the 30th lever? Yeah, that... Well, it's lev- it's really levception. There's le- there's now levers within levers for uh, Barcelona. And then Batshuayi got a permanent deal to Fenerbahce... Fenerbahce, um, and so he'll be in the Turkish league. Um, so that just kind of yeah. wraps that up. Yeah. Also, they made an encroachment into your territory. This was <laughs> this, I think, was Tuchel's fatal error in the battle between you two. This you could not stand for—an attack on your own house. Yeah, and, and for those that aren't aware, Donnie's referring to a like in the final few days of the window a. A move Chelsea made for Rafael Leal of AC Milan fame, the reigning Italian, you know, player of the year, and the offer was around a hundred million. Full details, I, I, I don't, I haven't really seen access into. Rumors are there was some kind of offer of either hundred mil or money plus Pulisic, and like, I'd love to have Pulisic at Milan. Um, but if, if it's in response for Leal, I honestly was, I think I was telling you, Donnie, 100 mil plus Pulisic plus, uh, uh, plus uh, Hakeem Ziyech. After yesterday's game, or if it is game, you'd have to pay me money to pay Hakeem Ziyech. That's how bad he, he was. So that's, that's, even, that's changed since we talked about it. Um, and the response from Milan was like, I think it was twofold. One was, we don't view Leal as for sale. He had a, a release clause that was only viable during the first month of the window. It, so he no longer has a release clause. We feel like we have an avenue, an angle towards renewing him. We're going to chase that. And also, if we were going to sell a player like Liao, we would need way more time in our market left to, to find an adequate and viable. You can't replace a Rafael Liao, but you know, to build the squad around that gaping hole. Sure. So, in other words, fuck off, Chelsea. Um, and after a couple of recent performances that we will get to, a.k.a. the Milan Derby and Milan's first Champions League game, I think Leal's price has gone up from like 150 mil to 200, maybe 250 mil. And I might be being biased, but honestly, I don't know. <laughs> um, well, let's talk about Chelsea's play. So, they've, they've spent, so we've, we've set the stage. They spent $300 million. They then tried to spend an additional $100 million. They spent a lot of money. So you have... And remember, you have new American ownership of the club. Mm-hmm. And it's clear... They, they back their manager in the transfer window. I don't know how you complain. If you get a war chest of... He technically... They didn't spend it, but he had a war chest of almost half a billion dollars. If you think yes. about what they were willing to... Because if you well, think about and, Milan and- accepting that layout deal then they spent 400 million you're also not thinking about the four transfers that uh, that barcelona hijacked from chelsea right uh, there yes, were the cuckenings 
Yes, the the, the great cuckening. <laughs> um, so like now you would you would say if they were able to get you know Jules Kounde or somebody that they wouldn't have bought Leslie Fafana and other things. Sure, but like it's not unre- unreasonable to think that if they were able to get all the players that they wanted, they would have spent in excess of half a billion in one fucking window, which is absolutely disgusting and absurd. And and all this shit that they are trying to bring in, trying to spin. Um, they were not willing to let Christian Pulisic leave on on a loan. Um, well, no, no, no. They 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 were willing to potentially consider a swap deal with Man United, Pulisic for Maguire. I, I why not that was a, that deal? Why Man United didn't take the deal? Dude, dude I, if if I was United, I would swap uh, Maguire for Gunnarsaurus. Like that's that's the level that I've got him on. So like. Gotta tell me, United scouting team puts Pulisic at least level with Gunasaurus. I think there is a, I think there is a huge English bias at play. Yes, when it comes to a player yeah. like Maguire. But anyway, yeah. not the I point. also think those are those are the two clubs, by the way, where I think English bias might be of. of I think those are the two clubs where English bias is biggest too, Chelsea and United. Yeah, I do. Um, but I was just trying to get all this to say. Our boy Pulisic was not uh, – he's clearly not really in Tuchel's plans. Um, and they were really not willing to let him go out on, on the loan outside of that swap deal. And then later in the, in the window, they decided we can't sell him because we're not able to bring in a, a replacement, which doesn't make sense to me because they weren't pl- – they were playing him at wing back anyways. They weren't playing him as a winger. So they brought in all these defensive and midfield uh, you know, support. I was very irate up until this morning about our boy Pulisic. So actually, I want to talk about that because throughout this um, podcast episode, there's a couple of different points of media soccer coverage I want to talk about. And Pulisic is one of them. I think that Thierry Henry made a great point about having to sometimes you're in a situation you don't like and man up. So I'll tell you something Pulisic did not do. Pulisic did not hand in a transfer request. Mm-hmm. As a player, he has a right to hand in a transfer request. Sure. That is something that letting the club formally know, putting it on notice, you don't want to be there, that is a way you make things happen for yourself as a player. And number two, I'll say this. Sometimes you have to make the best of the hand you're dealt. And there is no doubt that Pulisic has been dealt a shitty hand playing for a manager who did not sign him and a manager who clearly did not see him in his plans or want him. That isn't Pulisic's fault. But what you then do with that situation, that, that, and I'm not really, I'm not trying to necessarily blame him for it. I just kind of have an issue of the way that the American soccer media has so victimized him where there are things he could have done to help himself a little bit that I did not see him do. That's all my point is. For sure, and and absolutely, and and he's not. It's not like, you know. I think another part of this is a lot of like U.S. soccer fandom, especially on the social medias, like the tweeters and the the many reddits. You know, make Pulisic out to be like a an all world talent, and outside of that project restart, flash in the pan, he has not played like an all world talent, right? You know, he he has not. So it's not like 
you know, I don't want it to be get twisted that I'm saying Pulisic is an automatic starter and and needs you know and, and should be playing every single game regardless of form. My only point you know was we have gotten to a point in the tenure of this manager who kind of ousted him at Borussia Dortmund as as well. Uh, we've gotten to a point in this Tuchel tenure where the only real time Pulisic was getting was. 20 to 15 minutes most often at wing back yeah. and then not and then not playing well it's like yeah he's not a fucking wing back right sure. so you know I, I am i'm very excited just at the opportunity Pulisic has to make a new impression on a new manager i, com- and, I completely agree with that i completely agree and, with that and if the new manager relegates him to the bench or only gives him peanuts of minutes in in the wrong position, then you know we we may have to revisit this conversation and this discussion. But I also think if that happens, I would be shocked if if Pulisic doesn't hand in a transfer request right for the next window. Yes, I totally agree. His priority needs to be impressing the new manager, who's probably going to be Graham Potter, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But if if it's not going to happen, then in the in this window, in the uh, winter window, excuse me. He needs to put in a transfer yeah. request because he needs to start taking charge of his own destiny. Absolutely, and you know, it's interesting though. I'm one of the so we'll, we'll circle back to this because I, I have a point I want want to cover. But we should discuss Chelsea's horrendous run of form, and I like horrendous by a top six uh, program. Absolutely not ideal for you know um, a seven, eight, or nine kind of level club as well it all i think really started with that dismantling by leeds united states of america and, and when we get into premier league that'll be my second point about american soccer uh, coverage uh yeah leeds ripped them apart i mean it was baffling it was at the time it was awe-inspiring, and it was like, man, Leeds are going to be well clear of a relegation battle. I'm now realizing that, you know, they were just beating a team that was not that's not very good at this point in time, so it really doesn't mean much about Leeds' relegation chances, but I mean, our boys, Adams and Aronson, played incredibly well. We're, um, Rodrigo had a really strong game, and they just gave Chelsea no room to breathe. It honestly looked like Tuchel didn't put any prep time into studying his opponents and understanding what they were going to be doing because the team did not seem prepped to handle a high-press, constant, in-your-face, suffocating fest. Yeah, and they followed that up by beating Leicester City. Well, that doesn't mean anything because everybody, everybody, every, everybody beats Leicester City. Everybody's going to beat Leicester Honestly, the, what's cr- the craziest thing is that yeah, I guess everybody does beat Leicester City, and Chelsea beat Leicester City to sacking their own manager, which is the biggest upset, honestly, of of the season so far for me. <laughs> then they lose to Southampton. Really young, inexperienced team, Southampton this year too. Then they beat they West- beat they beat West Ham, but on a on a technicality yes. on on. It was a 2-2 draw, basically with time running out and 
VAR had to come in and overturn the goal. And I believe it w- this was one of the two VAR decisions that was later called out by the FA as a mistake. And we will we will work to rectify this from happening in the future. You can't rectify the points that you've just given uh, a big six club in Chelsea. Um, so it was a it was a win in name only. No, yeah, the the on field performance by Tuchel's Chelsea team was not impressive. I will say, and this is now, this will be, this is American bias 100%. Pulisic got his first start of the season, went 60 minutes at, at a leftward attacking player. It's always hard to tell in that system if he's actually a wing or if he's tucked in a little bit. Um, did not score, did not assist. So at that point, he was level with Kai Havertz and Mason Mount. Um, but Havertz ended up getting a, a, a substitute goal in that game. But I thought he actually looked lively he looked like he was making runs challenging defenders um it's amazing what will happen when you put somebody in their in their right place although he did not do what we were all hoping he would and capitalize by scoring on that uh less than two minutes after mason mount replaced christian pulisic chelsea conceded the first goal which i just thought was hilarious yeah so then we got to yesterday chelsea's first champions league game Against uh, Dinamo Zagreb. In, in, in Croatia. A game that Chelsea should easily win. Just, it just on, it's like a Ferrari racing me with a horse. Someone who has maybe ridden on horseback five times in his life. <laughs> and it's just a regular yeah. horse. It's, it, it's, well, not, it's not a junkie horse. I, I don't know the numbers of the transfer fees Dynamo Zagreb has, has paid for the team, but something tells me it comes in well south of the 200 million that Chelsea splurged just in this window. Well, 200 million just in this window on defenders, 300 million. Yeah, yeah, so, sorry, sorry. Uh, I'm, so, I'm pretty sure, um, like the, che- if you, the Chelsea players wardrobes, just their at home wardrobes. If you combine that is actually worth more than the players themselves of Dynamo Zagreb. That is the sort of disparity we're talking about here in pay scale. And, you know, I don't know if you're able to watch much of the game. Um, it was a lot of Chelsea dominating possession. Sure. And Zagreb having a strong, coordinated defensive structure. And then, honestly, some good old-fashioned smash and grab. Uh, created by a bit of a defensive blunder by debutante Wesley Fofana. Yeah, and, uh, and Fofana have not been great. Koulibaly, I thought his like first game he played really well, and then but since then, he ever has since been... Britain, ever since Britain Aronson put him in the spin cycle, Oof. he's like I think he's I think he got vertigo, and now he has like balance issues or something. Uh, but. Koulibaly and Fafana, I think, ran into each other, springing the Dynamo Zagreb uh, attacker, uh, Aristic, I think is his name, but I'm, I'm probably mispronouncing it. He does a, a deft, slight chip of, of, of the keeper, not a full, you know, high chip, just enough to chip it over the keeper, and it just falls so beautifully into the corner. And give it to those Croatians, that place went fucking nuts. Yeah. And... They're able to hold on, and they beat Chelsea 1-0. And, Gates, what happens next? What happens next is your boy wakes up and just 
has several text messages. There's a lot of, of me, me, missed messages from the, the group me. And I'm thinking, honestly, I should check some of these Twitter sources because there's a lot of activity going on in my notifications right now. And the first five posts that pop up are Chelsea part ways with Thomas Tuchel. Bowley gives Tuchel the sack. Uh, Tuchel out as Chelsea manager. And I just, honestly, Donald, I had to text you immediately because <laughs> yes, you did. Because I knew the only person who cared more about Tuchel v. Gates than me was you. You know, in the one sense, the first thing I do have to say to you at this point, now that we've announced the full sacking and told the story, is congratulations that you beat you beat him. <laughs> you beat that crap bastard. Good for you. <laughs> now the second thing I have to say is. I'm a little sad that we lost such a great content piece. Oh, not only about the Tuchel v. Gates piece, but I was so fucking ready for the Conti-Tuchel reverse fixture. Yes. And that we're not going to get that again truly makes me sad. Yeah, that is also a kick to the dick in a way. But, okay, Tuchel's been fired. And I wanted to look at his 18-month kind of ish run as the Chelsea manager because it is a very bizarre thing to me to fire a manager this or it is September 7th yeah I mean the season is not a month old yet you just back this guy with 300 million dollars and then you fire him right away and and, and the 300 million dollars I feel like at least 60% of that was spent in the closing weeks of the like, like it's not like a lot of that money was, was pushed out, you know, in early July. I, I feel like it was relatively recent purchases too. So it's just to add color to your point. So in 18 months, Chelsea won three trophies. Okay, but let's name those trophies. Champions League. Yeah. Club World Cup. Yeah. And the um, the suit the European Super Cup. Okay. And you you rather win? Hey, those are three trophies that our teams didn't win. Those are three trophies I'd rather win than not win. Trophies very, and trophies. Very sure. And they won the biggest one in all. In, in yes, sport. yes. They they won the and then but in addition to that, he got him to two cup finals last year too. Mm-hmm. I just. You know, it's one of those ones where I can argue it both ways, and I've, I've convinced myself that it was both the right thing to do to fire him and premature to fire him. That's what I really think of it. I think it is so on the border when you kind of look at his reign in context, you look at the money they spent, how early it is in the season. It's kind of one of those ones where the more we talk about it, the more I'll flip-flop between if that was if it was too early or if it was, you know, kind of the right thing to do to see that the ship was sinking a little bit, pull the plug, you know, and kind of – continue the uh, Abramovich tradition of, you know, we don't well, have a bad six weeks at Chelsea. It's so, so it's, it's, what's fascinating to me is I honestly think, cause like if you go and, you know, want to just like have part of your soul die, go onto the internets and the social medias and see what the online posting Chelsea fan base was saying. It, it is basically electronic cancer. Um, but you know, so people are absolutely <laughs> shocked and stunned. Um, and I'm just thinking, if Abramovich was still the owner of this company, or of this team, this sacking would not shock a single person. It right. would. 
and even even with the the two hundred three hundred million dollar backing, it wouldn't shock anybody because money is nothing to Putin's wallet, right? Um, so I think it's just funny that like it's shocking because this is a new unknown entity, but at the same time, how many times do we see in sports uh, the owner always eventually wants to bring in his guy, right? Well, that's what I was, that was my next point. In in the way that Tuchel did not sign Pulisic. Bowley is not the one who hired um, Tuchel, so Bowley wants his guy. So I get, and you know, I've kind of, you know, there's been things coming out that Bowley wanted to sign Cristiano Ronaldo. Tuchel was like, absolutely not. You know, kind of some things have come out about that. So th- there might have been some tension. There's probably a lot of tension that we don't know about yes. that happened behind the scenes. And I think you are right that at some point Bowley wanted to sign his guy, so that initial lease is going to be short. So. Going back to detention real quick, because we were mentioning about like what you know, why didn't Pulisic or others put in a transfer request during this window? And you know, it's obvious that the people that were marginalized, the players that were played out of position or, or not played at all or very much, uh, Tuchel lost them in the locker room. But re- I've been seeing reports coming out recently, and actually a report as like early as two weeks ago saying major and important players at Chelsea uh, had uh, lost respect for Tuchel. And I'm wondering if, like, maybe Pulisic had either an inkling or an inside track knowing, hey, you're not happy now, but hold on because you might get into some life, right? And that, like, in just reading the tea leaves of many important players at Chelsea are fed up with this guy's bullshit, um, he might not be making it through the season, right? Maybe, but that is a pretty big gamble to take that he yeah. gets fired before November. Like, sure. maybe... But I don't but, think I don't think Pulisic is that... I, I think we're way more... Maybe we're more worried about the November stuff than Pulisic is. I think Pulisic has no doubts that he is a starter in the U.S. squad. And obviously, and there's a debate to be had there and many people would tell you there is no discussion and you're crazy if you think there is a discussion i feel we fall in a different conversation there hopefully we don't have to have it because hopefully he starts getting doesn't have to start every fucking game but hopefully starts getting actual playing time um but i guess i find it interesting that like the recent reports are not not just the, the guys that were that were not playing but some of the key leadership guys that were playing were also done with Tuchel. in sports soccer or otherwise once the coach loses the locker room it's it's it's, it's over yeah and, you have to have example. and that happens with every coach at some point could could i tell you why i thought Tuchel would be fired at the end of the season and not 10% into the season you may. I thought there was no way Graham Potter would leave Brighton this early or, or any any time in the season, and I was hoping he would stay the full season too. Especially uh, with how well, well they're playing right now. With how they're they're playing so well, they're getting good results against quality opponents, um, and they have been playing so well for several years. It's, under it's, it's a shame that when they're having this good of a start, that it, so this is kind of leading us into the next bit. Um, it, it, it seems like it's all but official that it's going to be Grand Potter. He's going to take over Chelsea before the big game against Fulham this weekend. Yeah, and and I, I think I think we were texting about this just a few weeks ago, or maybe even earlier this week. You know, 
when is Grand Potter going to end up at a big six club? And it's like the only club that really has a manager question mark long term is is Chelsea with Tuchel. Well, but maybe not the only big six club that may have a question mark. Where's the other one? Uh, in the north of England. <laughs> I'll let you... Uh, we'll, we'll get there when we get there. Get to your tea leaves on that one a little bit later. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you think... I can't believe you think Pep is out. <laughs> no, not... No, he's going to be on um, Erlen Holland's back like Yoda on Luke. Great, <laughs> great graphic. Just hilarious graphic for Bleacher Report of literally a tiny Pep riding a massive Erlen Holland like to glory. In a sea of goals. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's fantastic. That, 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 um, was, that was good. But... I can't remember exactly where you were, but I, I, Grand I, Potter. Re- I really, really thought Potter to Chelsea makes so much sense, and that is why we're going to see Tuchel out this whole season. And apparently, and now I'm wondering, I, I think somebody's camp was talking to somebody's camp before they made this decision, because 100%. pretty quickly, um, Brighton gave Chelsea permission to talk with Potter. Um, they've been talking with Potter. Apparently, like they're just trying to make sure they're aligned on long-term goals and objectives. They're just going to pay. He's got an 18 million uh, pound release clause. That's literally pennies for for Chelsea. Um, and it sounds like they've got Paul Coutinho just waiting in the wings in case this falls apart at the eleventh hour. Um. I also think kind of to that theory, mega brain move by Potter to sell his one of his best players to Chelsea, knowing that he's going to be there really soon. And, you know, because like it was originally it was uh, City that wanted Cucurella and then Chelsea came in and got him. Kind of also, City said, and, and like we said, kind of surprising because they had Ben Chilwell, but yeah. it's uh, it's all very interesting. But um. So yeah, that that'll probably be official by the next time we pod. Uh, you know, I always feel like the new managers kind of get that bump those first few games. So it'll be interesting, you know, to focus on how Graham Potter plays. I don't think he's going to do the Christmas tree formation. Going to be interesting to see how Pulisic fits into it, and we'll have a better look at that on the next pod. But uh, sure, go ahead. It'll also be interesting to see how a player like Mason Mount plays, who has been pretty fit this year. True, but Potter and, is English, and the English love I, their own. I know, but I'm not even saying like to see. I wasn't saying if Mason Mount plays. I just meant like how how he responds to this new manager. Because you know, selfishly, I love watching Mason Mount play really poorly, knowing that we're gonna go up against him. You Dude, know, nobody, on, nobody but the English like Mason Mount. Mason Mount sucks. <laughs> so bad. Okay. So that's a lot of ch- that's a lot of blo- that's probably more talk we've ever given one club, honestly, at any point in this podcast. And it's n- it's neither of our clubs. <laughs> it's neither of our clubs. So let's recap the rest of the transfer window, starting with this is kind of Chelsea adjacent because they looked like they were trying to get him at the last minute. Frankie De Jong, ultimately, despite all the drama, all the headlines, it kind of played out like I thought that he stayed at Barcelona. Yeah, it sounds like he's going to defer more wages. Or come to some sort of financial agreement. <laughs> he, he's simping for Barca. Whatever happens to him at this point, I don't feel sorry for him. Because no all, all the reports were like, he never wanted to leave, he never wanted to leave. Okay, whatever happens is on you, buddy. Yep. You you knew exactly how they were going to treat you, and that's on you. Um, 
holy hell did we have some U.S. men's national team players on the move. Yeah, we already covered the prolific hostage crisis, uh, but I just want to call it that that <laughs> headline because it's pretty comical. Um, your boy, Ricardo Pepe, he is not no longer at Augsburg on a temporary perspective, or point of view. Where did he end up, Donald? He is going to be at the Eredivisie with Groningen, and things were just not working out at Augsburg. Maybe he made the move too soon, you know, living in Texas his entire life to moving to Germany, and he's so... he's. 19 he's so young it just things were not working out i think this gives him a chance at a fresh start and i think you there are so many good players zlatan ibrahimovic louis suarez uh wesley schneider christian erickson so many good players have developed in the eredivisie we've said this several times that the eredivisie is one of the if not the best league to grow and develop your you know skill and, and, and talent and I remember mean, when Josie Altidore went my into, dude went to Eredivisie and how much his first touch improved coming out of Eredivisie not Josie got on fire uh for Azed Alkmaar uh but not the only American striker um Aaron Johansson before he had those like, debilitating nerve injuries that basically ended his international career at least he also was at Azad Alkamar and had an even better uh, run of form than Josie did there and that really ignited both of their careers so I, there's a lot of evidence for U.S. strikers playing well I, I absolutely love the move hopefully he can catch fire to ensure he gets a spot at, at this World Cup we've got a couple other guys you know sergeants had a resurgent uh, time in, in championship with a uh, Norwich, we've seen P-Folk get it going. Now I'd love to see Pepe start, you know, just honestly getting some consistent playing time because he was not really cracking the, the minutes at Augsburg. Yeah, I, I can't be any worse than what was going on at Augsburg, so this is a good thing. John Brooks signed as very late, but signed as a free agent to the, one of the most historical clubs in Europe, the mighty Portuguese side, Benfica. And let me tell you, he looks good in those red Benfica Dude. uniforms. He looks real good. Do people look bad in those? Like those, no, are, those are so sharp, clean. Sharp so unis. So clean. Apparently, according to U.S. Soccer Twitter, so who the fuck knows how accurate this is? Benfica plays a high line, which happens to be uh, MLS Greg Berhalter's big criticism behind closed doors of uh, John Brooks' inability to be a part of a high line uh, defensive unit. So uh, this is going to be one to watch. I. That's a great club for him to land at. Yes. It, it, it is technically the fifth best league. It is a top five league. Technically, Liga yeah. uh, is the sixth best league in Europe. No, absolutely. And that's not by according to me and you. That's according to by, UEFA. By, by the coefficients that UEFA determines, it is the fifth best league. And as you mentioned, it's a historic team or a program. And also, I, I you know, we were, we were wondering what's going on with Brooks. Why hasn't he signed somewhere? At the end of the day, I do think he was – trying to find the best option to give him a, a chance to make Greg change his mind. Yeah, and good, and good for him. This is, this is an example of a guy, in my opinion, a little different from Pulisic because he's out of the national spotlight, but this is him taking his trying to take his destiny yes. in his own hands and doing something about his situation. And I, I have to respect that. I have to respect that. So last, last American on the move – um, I'll, I'll, I'll field this one. Our boy, Serginho Dest, 
who was hesitant to leave Barcelona even after Xavi had said he's not part of his plans. He's not. He wasn't making the squad. He was on the out and out. Um, he was heavily linked with Manchester United late in the window. I think that's an important fact. He was, but also an important fact was before any of these rumors cropped up, Eric Tinhog said the squad we have is the squad we have, and we're not bringing any any new players in. And, and, then and as I we was, know, managers, no soccer manager has ever hey, been facetious to the media ever. I'm just, I'm just saying, if your fact is important, my fact is almost as important. Your fact not may not even be important. a fact. That's all I'm going to say. And your fact may also be smoke and mirrors. We don't know. We're not there. This, is a, this Alice, isn't a podcast about facts. But back up right back for AC Milan, Alessandro Florenzi had a pretty significant lower leg, lower body injury, and is going to be out for several months. So in a very, very quick move, which is how Maldini... Maldini either takes three months to complete a transfer, or he completes the transfer before before anybody knows. That's how we got Teo Hernandez, was just like... Mm. Maldini flew to Ibiza, found him, like, like met him in a club, and they're like, "Hey, like you're you're gonna play for us now," um, and bring in Sergio Dest to the most historic Italian club, and, the, pretty, and, and the reigning Italian champions, and the reigning Italian champions, a Champions League, you know, uh, quote unquote contender. Uh, not quite there yet, but we will be playing in it. Oh, just wait till I reveal my top three teams. Things have changed. And what's also really exciting is, you know, he's not going to be, he's not a starter. The captain of the team, Davide Calabria, is the starting right back for Milan. Teo Hernandez is one of the top fullbacks in the world. He's the left back for Milan. We are in three competitions that we want to do well in, in all three. So we need some heavy squad rotation. And Calabria has had some fitness issues. Sometimes... Some Milan fans, not myself, don't think he is good enough. Um, and so that spot is there. But more importantly, I think the right wing is is pretty bad for Milan. And there is an opportunity for Dest to show his offensive uh, technique and ability, which, as you have said several times, he has buttloads. Um, he could, we could find a, a situation where he's playing right wing, playing, you know, backup uh, right back and backup left back. So he could get more than his healthy chunk of minutes, even if he doesn't become a starter. Which is all that it's about. And I actually am, all joking aside, I am happy he went to Milan. I think it's a good fit for him because of his versatility when, you know, Teo needs a break or when Davi Calabria, you know, maybe needs a little bit of rest. I think his ability to play at both fullback positions is huge. Uh, Also, Looking at this is actually kind of why I'm most excited. Teo Hernandez comes to Milan. He's not the finished product he is right now, where he is He's a top a- like right now he is a top three left back yes. on the planet, undisputed in my opinion. Yes. But when he first came, he wasn't that. He, he was, was a really poor defender. He was so good offensively and he was a defensive liability. Yes. But he also is being mentored by because by Maldini, the greatest defender of all time. And look at how much his defense has improved. He's, he's a good defender. So Dest not only gets that mentorship from Maldini, he gets mentor. Look at the fullback room. You got Calabria, who is a great defensive fullback. You also have Teo, who went through the exact same thing Dest is going through now. A guy who was at another big club in Spain, Real Madrid, kind of not working there, so comes to Milan, adapts, grows. 
I hope this becomes a permanent move because Des does have the talent where he can become if he if he improve if he gets a little bit more polished on the offense and improve that defense. It wouldn't be crazy in two years if he was Milan's right back, starting right back. Yeah, in my opinion, not 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 crazy at all. I don't think it's um, a possibility. I think this is a great move, and he doesn't have to be at a club I hate. He gets to be at a club that yeah. I like a lot and a club that I watch pretty much every game anyway. So it's no extra work on my end. And he gets to play for a manager in Pioli who truly seems to really connect and care for his players. Oh, he's a big, he's a big time players coach. He's he's a man manager. Yeah. Uh, player. Yeah. Players coach. Exactly. So I, I think it's it's all exciting. It's a it's a loan with an option to buy. The option is like twenty mil, I think. Um, technically, it's a free loan, but we're paying his three million dollars salary or euro salary. Yep. So it's like it's basically a three million euro loan. Um, but let's say very excited. And yeah, you guys didn't land desk. And you know, I was before because. I had no idea that Milan were even considering him as an option. I was 100% on the desk to United train. Uh, Bum, that didn't happen, but it wasn't all for naught. You guys made some moves. So, the last time we podcasted, I didn't have this uh, just semi-joyful tone in my voice. Things Things were dark. Things were depressing. It was tough. Gates, Gates was having wellness checks called in on me every other day. Interesting how they made some interesting signings. Um, Casemiro. That came out of nowhere. That is a... If you talk about a midfield reinforcement, that's a big that, one. That's about as reinforcement as it gets. Um, they signed Anthony from Ajax. They've been long linked with him. And we'll talk about that later. But wow, am I in love with him. What a, what, what, a, what an introduction. They also signed Martin Dubrevka from Newcastle to back up David De Gea. And what's so annoying about that is we had two Premier League starting goalies in Dean Henderson and David De Gea. Our, that, to me, that one kind of pisses me off. Not Nothing against Dubrevka. It's more of a reminder of Manu's general ineptitude of like not being able to juggle these two goalies and figure it out. But So those are all good. You know, no right back. Only the one mid- midfield reinforcement where I felt like a second player would have been good, and obviously no out-and-out striker. So I kind of give our wind. People are gonna think I'm crazy, but I think that's like a C plus B minus window for United at best. Mm-hmm. Just given the amount of money they have, there's no reason why they can't be spending stupid amounts of money to rebuild the team. But speaking of stupid amounts of money, Newcastle bring in their club record signing Alexander Isaac and. Talk about how well that worked out for them shortly. Yeah. Um, Seventy but, mil. Yes, I mean they 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 are spending that oil money as quickly as they make it, and boy, do they make that oil money fast. <laughs> um, PSG added a couple of guys to kind of strengthen their just the depth of their squad. Fabian Ruiz from Napoli and Carcelaire from Valencia. Doesn't yeah, really surprise me. Interesting. The Fabian Ruiz um, discussion started out as some sort of swap plus cash for sending Ruiz to Nap or to PSG and sending Kaylor Navas to Napoli. But uh, PSG at, at the end pulled the plug on the Navas deal. And, but, but uh, Napoli still decided to go ahead with the Fabian Ruiz uh, swap. And then we had a lot of fullback news. This is just transfers of fullbacks. This, as, as the um, <laughs> spokesman for the fullback union, take it away, my dude. 
Thank you. Um, so the first one is a little worrisome in that uh, Lewin Kurzawa has joined Fulham on loan from PSG. He is a left back where Jedi Robinson is a left back. And why that's really concerning right now, we'll get into when we talk about the Premier League. This one, just, I thought this dude's career at the top clubs was over. But Hector Bellerin to Barcelona, I guess they needed some cover with Des gone. So from that perspective, it makes sense. But I did not... And- See that and he's 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 a, he's a free transfer. Yeah. And yeah, I think it was all just like, I mean, once again, why do they need cover for Des when they said Des was no longer in the plans? I I don't understand that concept, but this was definitely filling the Des size hole, and I I would be surprised if we see Bellerin logging any significant minutes in any significant competition this year. Uh, Conti has determined that. Sergio Reguillon is surplus to requirements at Tottenham, especially with him playing Perisic, I think, way more than any of us thought he would. But Perisic is his dude. He loves that dude. I mean, this is what I was expecting from Perisic. So, he is on loan to Atletico Madrid, where Diego Simeone will teach him the dark arts. Um, You know, Simeone, our group we talked about today, always such a polarizing figure, but you cannot convince me that the sport would be better off without him. It'd be worse without him. Way worse. It would be. It would be more. It would be more boring without him. He's an incredible heel. Oh, but our last fullback, one of the all-time greats fullbacks, our beloved Marcelo, as he's in the swan song of his career, moving on to to the Greek giants Olympiakos, where he'll play and he'll run around with a smile on his face and just happy he's gonna go play somewhere. Yeah, it it'll be a sad day for us and for the game when he is no longer actively playing. Agreed. Um, speaking of no longer actively playing, Icardi's kind of in a weird holding, holding pattern where he's not really playing for anyone right now, but it seems like he's going to get picked up as a free agent by Galatasaray through all kind of indications, but this is a great segue into the news. So the Icardi's, Mauro and Wanda, are now under investigation for human trafficking. That is a very real headline. Now, what gets very fuzzy, and I've looked at numerous sources for this, is the facts underlying it. And so, here's what I think most of the sources agree on. They brought their au pair slash housekeeper slash, you know, employee from Argentina to Italy. And they had her on a visa of sorts. I don't know a lot about Italian visas, but they had her on some sort of visa. And that visa lapsed, and they fraudulently claimed political asylum on her behalf so they didn't have to go through the paperwork. And that's why it's human trafficking, because they literally fraudulently allowed someone to stay in a country. But then there are reports that, like, they abused this woman, that she slept in a room with a mat- just a mattress, that they would feed her expired foods. Like, it. those, I do not know if those are real, by the way. Those, those are just, these are just things that are out there. It's what seems what seems credible is they technically violated human trafficking by trafficking this person or, or, or fraudulently extending their stay yes. rather than yes that is Which, a, that is a fact that is, seems to be a fact everything that, that else, they're under investigation for it yeah. yes yes everything else is wild speculation but it's, but it's just it's just with these with the with these two everything is is absolutely wild. Is there a more toxic relationship in existence? In real life, I don't think so. Honestly, in fiction, maybe not. <laughs> um, 
Kareem Benzema, the the man of the the man of the hour from last season, won the UEFA Player of the Year award by the biggest point gap in the awards history. Why this is particularly important is because there have been a lot of debates raging on in the darker circles of the world where these sorts of things are tolerated about Benzema versus Kevin De Bruyne, you know, these sorts of conversations that some people feel the need to have. I certainly do not need to feel the need to have the conversation. But I just wanted to throw that fact in there. That is the biggest point gap in the awards history. Man, if, I, if, if you're talking to somebody who cared about awards, that might mean something. Here's something you will care about. November 9th, the U.S. Men's National Team World Cup roster will be announced by Greg Berhalter in some sort of event in New York. Why don't we have to make an event out of it? I don't know. Why can't we just fucking post a tweet and call just it a post, day? Just post it and then just let us all burn Twitter down. Well, I don't think we've mentioned this before. Maybe we have a few episodes ago, but they're also kind of doing like a video about the lead up to the World Cup. And I just think that that is going to backfire on us so badly. I hate that we're doing that. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. In the lead up to the 2018 like cycle... Fox Sports went all in on the next two World Cups, and like in the obviously only in, in the United States, right? not they don't they don't do anything outside, and the U.S. not being a part of it, I think definitely impacted their bottom line um, from what they were anticipating. So like you know they have to go all out on this World Cup because like. They need it to deliver eyes and ads. And, like, I get the pageantry, the fanfare. If done well, it could be The problem is it's probably not going to be done well. It's probably going to be really corny and cheesy. And that's where, like, you get the combination of it could suck and then be embarrassing if we flame out. Yeah, yeah. And then kind of the last big of big news is following their disastrous first couple of games, the Glazers out movement, which has always been kind of in the background, gained a lot of steam. Elon Musk tweeted about buying Manu, which obviously was fake, and he even said later he was joking. But now there are serious considerations by a consortium led by Sir Jim Ratcliffe of buying Manu. And the biggest reason why this is a story is that not necessarily that anyone said Manu's for sale, but these rumors have kind of gained traction for the last month. And nobody from Manu or the Glazer families or whatever, whoever their spokesperson is, has quashed them. And it seems like they'd be willing to take just under $4 billion, which is, that's obviously a lot of money. Like, I, I don't, I'm not trying to casually say just under $4 billion, but I mean. But you mean slightly under $4 billion. I just mean yeah. slightly under $4 billion for them. So that'll be an interesting thing to watch. I don't know if much is going to come out of it personally, but I do find it interesting that those rumors have not been quashed. Also, tangentially related and very interesting to me is the two moments where the Glazers' out movement has been the strongest. The Glazers have responded by signing Cristiano Ronaldo and then signing uh, Casemiro. And Anthony. Yeah, but I feel like, at least from people outside of the United fan circles, um, after the Casemiro signing and then the Liverpool victory, the Glazers out stuff was not as pervasive to us outside of the United 
stratosphere. So I like like fair play. I mean, you're not you're not wrong, but it's just interesting. Like two big signings, and it you know it does seem to either if it's not quelling the fan base's uh, vigor in those movements, it is at least quelling the coverage. Yeah. It has not quelled my desire for the Glazers to sell the team. No, I, I can't imagine anything. But it does help me stomach watching the team. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Whew. Segments. Hawkeye, Hawkeye of the Week. Hawkeye of the Week. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Feel a little chemistry right felt, now. You felt that too? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I just had to go with a homer pick. Who is, he's been instrumental to helping turning things around for United these last few games with three goals and two assists since we last podcasted, 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 my boy, Marcus Rashford, the feeder of children, first in his name. And uh, a brace against uh, Arsenal, if I'm not mistaken. Brace against Arsenal, goal against um, Liverpool, Liverpool. an assist against Liverpool, and another assist somewhere in there. I mean, no one is happier than Marcus Rashford. True. And no one I know is happier than you. But behind you and Marcus Rashford, I might be the happiest. No, <laughs> no you may be. But I think actually think it's there's four tiers. It's Marcus Rashford. It's the, the children kids. of England. <laughs> yes. Who are hungry. It is me. <laughs> then it is you. I I have been a a Rashford fan since you know back when he was wearing what was it thirty seven or something. What? I, yeah, some scrub ass number. Yeah, uh, I actually wish she had kept that number uh, or kept nineteen. You know, but what? Whatever. Um, that first goal he scored against Liverpool, you could see the relief on his face, and then to see him double down on that with a brace against top of table Arsenal was awesome to see. Like that was not just a one performance fluke. You know, there is something where. Marcus Rashford may be able to flourish in this team under this manager. And, you know, I, I mean, that can only be so exciting for a fan to see. Yeah, yeah. And we'll get into all the Manu stuff uh, here in a bit. But So that's my hot guy of the week. Bit of a homer pick, but I had to do it. My hot guy of the week is an extreme homer pick, as he's a AC Milan player. And I feel justified in the fact that not only was, you know, a hundred million euro offer rejected as it was deemed insufficient and absurd but he followed that up with an absolute stunning milan derby performance with two goals oh and the other goal that we scored by Giroud was an assist created by this man the just one man defense decimator rafael leao he is that guy he is He's that guy. he, he also so did he also followed the Milan Derby up while he was a bit leggy and a little tired. He was able to generate the assist on the lone goal uh, for our equalizer in the Champions League game yesterday as well. He is just fucking phenomenal. He is playing like a man who knows that he is from a country that is one of the most stacked in terms of like their World Cup roster. They are a top three in terms of just player-for-player player talent, stacked team. And he is making sure that when that World Cup comes along, his name is etched in the starting eleven. That is the sort of passion he has been playing. Like that to me, that is the motivator. It's like I know, like I want to fucking do this in a World Cup. And he is just every time he's out there, he's balling. He's balling. 
I actually think it's, you know, he, his whole thought process is I play for a nation whose manager is Fernando Santos, who is kind of garbage, and he's trying he's trying to do everything he can to not give Fernando Santos any option to not include him in this. Because he has not been a starting figure for Portugal. I Although there haven't been too many relevant international matches since he's kind of hit this super saint form. Yeah. So, okay. Fullback of the week. This is not exactly fullback of the week because it's fullback really since we last potted. Uh, but we're going to go with, you know, not my favorite ownership group of, of the PIF running Newcastle. Uh, but they're the fullback. The can wear shorts. <laughs> yes. <yeah. laughs> the uh, uh, Kieran Trippier had a saucy free kick goal. He is playing really solid. Newcastle's playing really well. Eddie Howe has got you know the team clicking. It's amazing what unlimited money and no moral uh, hangups can do for you. Uh, but here we are, and I will say, you know, I don't think Kieran Trippier will ever be eligible for Hawkeye of the Week because he just he ain't got it going on. But from a talent perspective and just a free kick taking perspective, yeah, it was gorgeous. Yeah, great pick. Um, I went with our short king, the uh, the lightning assassin of Dortmund, who just runs that left side, Rafael Guerrero. And for many reasons. First, he didn't go to Manchester City, which, <laughs> mean, which, mean, which meant I could love him another day for, an, for another few months. At least, at least for one more window. At least for one more window. But this in this young season, he already has two goals and an assist. I mean, he is already kind of firing, and he is one of the best pure <laughs> – he, he kind of suffers from the early Teo thing where he's a bit of a defensive liability. But <laughs> – Oh my god, who gives a shit? He's, he is offensively electric, and I love it. I don't think I've ever seen him make like a defensive highlight play. No. But you see him make a lot of offensive highlight plays. And so, so and, and like I've always said, the best defenses oftentimes are really good <laughs> offense. <laughs> um, so that's my fullback of the week. Okay, league recaps. La Liga. Turns out, Lewandowski, no matter where you put him, He's going to score a lot of goals. So that's what we're yeah. learning with Barcelona. You know, I, I I remember Saints started the season like, maybe it'll take them uh, a little bit of time to gel. And Donnie, I was right. It took them one game. They had that one game where they couldn't score in the opener. And basically since then, boy howdy. And you know who's been who's really good towards the end of last season, who stayed injury-free, who's been just incredible? Dembele. Yes. Holy shit, this guy is playing so well. Um, so yeah, they're getting it done. Um, Real Madrid, they're getting it done. Sometimes not. They may sometimes not as convincingly, but they you know they still find finding ways to win. And then Atletico Madrid are just stuttering right out of the gate. Yeah, you know their performance, how they're playing, really reminds me of how they're trying to leverage Antoine Griezmann's contract. Now, this is fascinating. For those that aren't aware, there's a clause in in, in the loan deal that Atletico set up for Griezmann where if he plays more than, I think, 
40 minutes or something like that, uh, or more than 45 minutes in a game, uh, in enough games, then they are required to turn the loan into an obligation to buy. So every single game, uh, Griezmann subs in around the 50th to 60th minute (laughs) to make sure that they are not going to trigger the obligation to buy. And then at a certain point, it'll become statistically impossible for them to... And he'll start every game after that. Yep. Yep. It is is funny. It's funny. (laughs) It's just funny because Barcelona are... Because both Barcelona and Griezmann are just being memed so hard by Atletico. (laughs) And you know Simeone doesn't give a flying fuck. Um... Yunus Musa is fucking playing unreal for Gattuso's Valencia. Can we talk about Dude. that? So, it doesn't count because there's a foul in the buildup. No, that, that, that wasn't a foul. But it was, it was a, ruled a foul, but it was not a foul. He had a screamer of a goal uh, two match days ago. An absolute, like, golazzo. A fucking piss missile. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't count, even though it beat the goalie and everything about the shot and, and Musa's play was was above board. Uh, but he just followed that up with a two-assist performance over the weekend. And they were both very different passes, but super saucy. The first one was a death chip over the four defensive back line required a lot from the striker to on the half turn volley it but amazing pass and he had a great through ball on the ground in the second half he is he's hitting his stride and i it's you know there's no secret how much i love Gennaro Gattuso i think it is really good for young 19 year old units Musa to be able to learn the game from Somebody who know who who knows how to play that that dirty midfield role and and you know set up the more talented scoring teammates. Yeah. So with that, should we go to your neck of the woods? Yeah, um, we could talk about Syria. There were there was a, an important game or two that had happened recently. Over the weekend, we had the Milan derby. Milan themselves kind of off to a slow start in the league. Undefeated, but I think mean, going into the derby, we were at, uh, what is it, two wins and two draws. And one of the draws is at Atalanta, who's actually proven me wrong and been pretty resurgent. But the other draw was against uh, Sassuolo, who always gives us a hard time, but not where you want to be dropping points. So needless to say, though, you know, Inter riding a little bit higher, a little higher up on the on the table, and what six less than ten minutes into the fucking game, they score, uh, go up one nothing, really break your boys' balls over here. Uh, Milan really has oh. a problem this season yeah. of conceding the first goal. I was way off. It was twenty first minute, so not super early, but conceding the first goal, going going down, and like. Fuck, we're, we're, we're doing this again. Lo and behold, 28 minutes in, so seven minutes after we concede, your boy, Rafael Leao, just decides, fuck it, I'm going to do this myself. Uh, some good good play from teammates, but at the end of the day, knocks home a, a pretty, pretty, pretty shot to beat Hindanovic. 
uh, go into halftime 1-1, and then Giroux off of the layout assist with a, a really quick, like, redeflected shot almost into the bottom corner, uh, go up 2-1, layout decides to get a third in the 60th just to, you know, give us that cushion, which ended up being critical as Edin Dzeko notched uh, – second the, the inner second goal um and then a pretty like it was a it was a clinched final 20 minutes or so uh where inter were, were trying to get the equalizer Magnang had to make a a big save or two but all in all an electric milan derby where the good guys come out on top once again uh dude layout is unreal <laughs> i am watching teams try to double and triple team him and it just does not matter he is so fast and so strong. Like, he's, he's just a... He is a nightmare to defend. It is awesome. He's that dude. It, it, it's been really fun to watch. And, and obviously, with that win, Milan was able to jump enter, although not at the top of the table just yet. Atalanta do have a two-point lead over Milan as they've won four and only drawn one. And then Napoli and Milan are tied on points. Uh, but Napoli have a better goal differential. So, you know, it's it's early, right? We've only played five matches. There's a lot left to play. Um, but it does seem, you're seeing, like, teams like Udinese and Torino are kind of up there. I imagine they'll fall down the wayside. Uh, but the big takeaways are, I think, Juventus, not in a bad place, but they just drew to Fiorentina, and it's just a classic Allegri. They start slower than they finish. Um Will they fall far enough back that they can't catch up? And then Atalanta and Napoli, and we'll talk about Napoli in a, in a second in Champions League. They look like they are are here to challenge the you know the big dogs of Juventus, Inter, and Milan. I feel like Roma are also looking very good. I feel like his, his Jose Mourinho's team has kind of progressed yes. and made that next step. Roma were looking very good. Um, I do think they just lost, like, was it five to two? Uh, four, they lost four nothing to Udinese. So, bit of a stumbling block. But up until that was on, I think, Sunday, up until Sunday, Roma were looking really solid. That was just their first loss of the season. Um, so, yeah, that was just an oversight on me. Yeah. Um, Bundesliga. Bayern are not in first. And they're not in second. Are they in third? They are in third. Freiburg is in first, followed by Dortmund, who are both a couple of points ahead of Bayern because they've drawn two games. This yeah. is an aberration, mind you. This is this is every I'm pretty sure This is where it is. This is where this is this happens every single season. There's at, a moment where we look at the table. And Bayern's not leading, and I'm pretty sure the Bundesliga does this on purpose, so we stop calling it the boring liga. But then it's all going to end up the same. Um, I have to talk about this dortmund Werder bremen game where Dortmund were leading 2-0 going into the 88th minute and lost the game 3-2. <laughs> now, they have kept a couple of clean sheets this season and won some tight games, but holy fuck, sometimes this team cannot defend. And I get it. Some people might say Rafael Guerrero could be part of that problem. <laughs> I just blame it more on the fact that Mats Hummels has been kind of over the hill, in my opinion. For a few years now. And for a few years now, Dortmund's defense has been fucking terrible. They're like an, they're like an over-betting dream. You just always bet the over with them. I 
just had to say that about that was my piece about Dortmund. That being said, they yeah, as you meant, like they gave up three goals to Werder Bremen, and they've only allowed four goals this season. So yeah, maybe that game was an aberration. Probably um, not. Also, like yeah, Bayern are in third, but they are literally one point out of first place, and they have a plus fourteen goal differential. Freiburg has a plus five goal goal differential, and Dortmund has a plus four goal differential. So I have a feeling they're. It, it's actually even it's even more in Bayern's favor than than it looks at first glance. Um, <laughs> by by actually being third, Bayern are better off than if they were first. <laughs> Not exactly what I mean, but you get the point. Uh, Leipzig only have one win out of five. And I don't fail. give a fuck about them now that Adams is gone. No, but I just want to point out they, they fired Dominico, Dominico Tedesco. Um, and the the rumors are they're going to bring in Marco Rose, who last managed Borussia Dortmund. Very interesting. And I believe they have a game up against each other coming up soon. I see. So just, just, oh, and I guess, um, I mean, I don't know if we're going to talk about it, but Reyna has steadily been making his way into the match day squad. Uh, Dortmund has said very publicly they've been taking it slow. They don't want to risk any further setbacks. Um, we'll probably, I guess, well, just talk about it now. Their Champions League game uh, that happened yesterday, he actually subbed on 20 minutes in. Uh, Thorgan Hazard picked up an injury. What a great so game, he, by the way. Yeah, a fantastic name. Unfortunately, Steve guy get hurt, but the physios and the team thought Reyna had 70 minutes in his legs, which is great to see, and he looked phenomenal, knocking two assists for... Two assists being the first American player to ever notch two assists in a Champions League game, which is actually very impressive. Awesome to see, and he's still in 19 years old. He's just a baby. Show me the baby. Just, like, stay healthy, bro. Yeah. That is uh, all very good news. Um, we need to briefly talk about the Uber Eats League, also known as League Uh, in that we um, we really started out this podcast strongly as an anti-Neymar podcast, but we have a bit of a Neymar problem. So I have three numbers on the screen. Seven, <laughs> seven, seven. Do you know what those numbers mean? Uh, games, goals, assists. L- League and Champions League games. League and Champions League goals. League and Champions League assists. He has 14 goals and assists in seven games. Yeah, he's playing out his fucking gourd. It is. That is a problem for us as an anti-Neymar podcast when he is playing that But well. you know what it's not a problem for? Your Brazil take. My Brazil take. It's you very, may have very all, good for your Brazil you take. You may have all of the, like, the last time this happened was when Maradona won the World Cup. Things going, going in your favor. But I'll take the play of uh, of Neymar over your your witch doctor <laughs> signs. Um, speaking of witch doctor, we didn't talk about the pause button. <laughs> I didn't know how to address it, dude. Okay, I guess Pogba and his brother are in a really big fight, and so Pogba's brother is like threatening, is like kind of pseudo blackmailing Pogba. Is he even blackmailing? I think he leaked to the press that Pogba hired a witch doctor to curse Mbappe. And France is so fucked. And I think Pogba was like, I did hire a witch doctor, 
but it wasn't to curse Mbappe. It was like to bless my medical rehabilitation. And then Mbappe was like, of the two, I'm going to believe the guy who, who I've played with and who like treats me like a brother. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to believe the guy who I've won a world cup with and not his like scorned <laughs> brother. Nobody gives a fuck about. Yeah. It's just, it's just a wild story. Um, so yeah. Okay. So, the Neymar stats look very good for your Brazil take, and you want to accuse me of witchcraft and sorcery, which is fine. It's fine. These are the sort of accusations I expect. Do you know, and do you know how much I despise calendar year statistics because they mean nothing when a season is broken up the way it is? But, do you know who has the most assists in the calendar year 2022? Lionel Messi. That would be correct. So you think he deserves a Ballon d'Or? <laughs> the Ballon d'Or is actually no longer judged on a calendar scale, my good friend. And we both know that's going to Kareem Benzema. It sounds like you wanted to go to Lionel Messi. I'm just telling you what 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 the French soccer media is going, how they're going to interpret this feed that they will definitely be listening to. <laughs> okay. Leaving the French behind where they belong. <laughs> Let's talk about the Premier League. So, Man City overall have been looking terrifying with that Holland, uh, the Holland to goal connection via Kevin De Bruyne. Holland that has, let, let, let me just put it out there. Holland has ten Premier League goals <laughs> in six games. The record for Premier League goals in a thirty-eight game season is thirty-two, held by Mo Salah. The record for Premier League goals when it used to be a four, I think a forty. Two-game season is 34, jointly held by Andy Cole when he played for Newcastle, I want to say, and Alan Shearer. He might break that record with less games. Both records are in extreme danger. <laughs> like, he can significantly slow down his score. He has 32 games to get 24 goals. It's, it is like, it, it sucks as a Man U fan, but it's just like, well, I mean, what the fuck do you even say? Counter. Couldn't you look at their early schedule and say, it's a bit soft? Yes. So, like, you could argue he's been getting more attacking opportunities against a little more suspect defenses than he will for the entire season. I'm... I, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I do think both records are in serious jeopardy, but I also wouldn't be surprised if he still knocks in a ridiculous buttload of goals, but not at this clip as the schedule weight balances out. And as you know, maybe he gets as city progressed in the champions league, which is what they truly care about. It's the, and knowing that Holland, knock on wood, because I, I, I truly never want yes. to see anyone injured. I don't care who they play for. He's not always able to stay healthy for a full season. It, it's, not, it's not been uncommon in his young career for him to have to miss four to eight weeks at any given time in a season. So knowing that about him, I wouldn't be shocked as they progress in the Champions League. And, you know, you don't necessarily play him against Bournemouth when you're, you're going to play Real Madrid in the quarterfinals off. Preseason, Pep said he would not be playing every game. Yeah. Which, I mean, you couldn't even have to say. That's uh, that's obvious. I mean, the top uh, clubs who make these runs, they, they're playing like 60 games. You can't. That's, that's yeah, a lot of soccer you, in front of them. You can't. 
But they've looked really good, except for two blemishes. First, that 3-3 draw with Newcastle, which has now supplanted that draw between Tottenham and Chelsea as the game of the season. Yeah. That yeah. game was fucking incredible. That's where Trippier that, scored. That was the game with the Trippier free kick, yeah. Yeah. And then they somehow tie Villa, of all teams? Like, what the fuck? And talk about a close bar call. Oh, he was... That could have been a 2-1 Villa game. He was not off. Kind of, kind of was a 2-1 Villa game where VAR and the FA had to intervene. For Pep. For Pep. Um, but... So, yeah, Man City are exactly what they expected it to be. They're really good, and they just got the steroid shot that is Holland. Yeah, and, and yeah, they've dropped points twice, uh, but, you know... They're going to be okay. Tottenham. Still looking pretty solid. Nothing I've seen to warrant concern. No, they got wins against Wolves and Nottingham Forest. They had a a little bit of a draw to West Ham, but West Ham's starting to pick up their season. But they got a win against a plucky Fulham, who is not... Fulham is not going to be an easy game for anybody. Especially in Craven Cottage. And let's talk about Mitrovic for a second. Because if it wasn't for Holland, he would be in the lead for the goals. He's got six goals in six games. I know. He's and picking up right where he left off in the championship. He missed the penalty, too. He could have. He easily could have seven. That's going to haunt me at the end of the season. That missed penalty. Uh, it's, it, missed penalties have not been good to me lately. I don't think it's going to haunt you that much, though, when he... Holland wins the golden boot by, like, 20 when, goals. Yeah, when he's, when, he's, when he's second place, but trails Holland by 10. I think Sportsbook should honor the second place winner to Holland as the, as a golden boot winner. The common man's golden boot. Um, but, okay, so this is going to kind of go into our looking at, uh, you know, win against a plucky fold. So let's kind of go into our little American corner. We've already talked about Pulisic, really, at Chelsea. Yeah. So looking at Fulham. I, I don't, honestly, when we, go, when we go American corner, I'm talk, I think we talk about teams where Americans are actively playing. And that rules Pulisic out. True. So Fulham beat Brentford 3-2, had a very close and, in my opinion, unlucky loss to Arsenal 2-1 because both goals had a bit of a deflection in them. Yeah. Where, by the way, in that Arsenal game, we watched it when we were in Florida for our a mutual friend's uh, wedding. Jedi played Sokka very well. Really well. Then they beat Brighton, which is actually a great result because Brighton's really good. Another tough, close loss to Tottenham 2-1. But potential injury concerns for Jedi when they just brought in, and it was kind of non-contacty, which is very very worrisome. Yeah. So that that's something we're going to be keeping an eye on and up to you guys. And fingers crossed, you know, it's something quick and easy. And he just answered. But also, I gotta say, dude, Tim Ream. He's Captain Tim Ream. He's playing really well. I mean, playing close losses to Arsenal and Tottenham. Beating Brentford, beating a very good Brighton team right now. I mean, they, Fulham are getting results, and he's at the core of defense. Don't, don't forget the draw. Uh, they held Liverpool to a draw too. Yes, they did. We talked about that last podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. If he continues playing like this, does he, he does he deserve a call up to the World Cup? Does he deserve? I think I think he deserves one. Yes, I think he deserves one. I don't think he'll get one. Which is so sad that you can play in the best league in the world week in and week out and play well and still not because, get a call up. If he gets called up, 
there's no way you could ever play Aaron Long over him, and you know Greg has to figure out a way where he can play Aaron Long. That's so sad. Let's talk about Leeds. So, Leeds, the kind of upstart, you know, newfangled thing of American soccer fandom. They're the media darling. Everyone wants to say Leeds, despite Fulham's long history, from Brian McBride to Clint Dempsey, everyone sees the shiny new toy, and they don't want to play with Fulham anymore. It's like Fulham doesn't even exist to soccer media. It's disgusting. Donnie, you know what it's like? Because they have Americans, all I ask is that you love Fulham. You know, you know what it's you know what it's like. It's like how you think of Luke Shaw after uh, Malastia's debut with, with United. Don't use my own memes against me. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think it, you are dead on, right? It's exciting. You know, both teams have two Americans starting, um, but one has a, has the manager kicker, which I, so even and myself. Leeds isn't the team I support the most right now because of the American t- contingent. Fulham is right there behind them. Uh, but also, you have to acknowledge that Fulham is... It's Fulham America, right? They are the historic American tie to the Premier League, to European soccer, and that needs to be respected. But that doesn't mean that you can't also go around saying Leeds United States of America. I agree with that. Yeah. My issue is more people is not for the people who you're not my issue. My issue is the people who, oh yeah, Leeds United States America Leeds United States and not even an afterthought yeah. of Fulham. Yes, that's my problem. Absolutely. And 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 that's more that's the soccer media that is pumping that narrative out because it's so much coverage of Leeds 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 and way less coverage of Fulham. Absolutely, and I will say though it is really cool to see like NBC bumping leads to their their like main channel coverage where normally that would be a Chelsea, a United, an Arsenal. You know, even in, in now or in, in Fulham's past is Fulham America heyday, they never got that that coverage. You know, Everton, just because t- uh, uh, Tim Howard was there, never got the like bumping to prime coverage. They'd have to play one of the big teams to do that. So it is kind of cool to see that you know, there must be some viewership data that that NBC is seeing that warrants moving leads in there, which is just fun to see that U.S. soccer spectating numbers is is following U.S. players in the Premier League. That being said, a little bit of good, a little bit of bad for leads. You know, we mentioned they thrashed Chelsea. They just literally got everything they wanted and then some against Chelsea. Um, and I really do think whether it was Tuchel, whether it was the players, they didn't give Leeds the due respect going into that game. And they were kind of called out on it. Brentford and Thomas Frank are not the type of team that would make that mistake. And you can tell they had a game plan and they executed on that game plan and Ran train on Leeds 5-2. That was bad. It was not good. Ivan Tony, you never you never want to be on the receiving end of another guy scoring a Hattie. You do not. Like, as awesome as it is when your team has a guy who scores a hat trick, so there is no worse feeling than when another guy just puts his large, large testicles, like, all across your team's face. I mean, even Tony, I'm sure, is like, 
just absolutely endowed, and he played very endowed in that game. Yeah. Um, so, not great. But, you know, Leeds, it's going to be a roller coaster all season long. They were one game, a few points above relegation last year. Yeah. They lost key players. During the Chelsea game, I think it was during the Chelsea game, uh, Rodrigo had like a, a run-in with Mindy and dislocated his shoulder in his missed time. Patrick Bamford, who missed a lot of last season, has already missed some time this season. You know, there's there's a lot that needs to be done. I'm not hitting the panic button after this one game, especially because it's kind of they, – they were working with a little bit of house money after the 3 nothing win over Chelsea. Um but it's not going to just be a cakewalk into mid-table obscurity for this team. Agreed. Agreed. Um, Arsenal. I guess to, he would he would fall in the don't have an American active since Turner is the backup. But Turner's yeah. there. They have continued to look good. They had wins against Burnmouth. Good win against Fulham. Win against Villa. And they were perfect. Until they ran into Manchester United. Wait, are you saying the words Manchester United and smiling at the same time? A little bit. A little bit. That hasn't happened since, like, midway through last season. Things were looking bad, I'll admit. I, um, I was in a very dark place. A place you do it, you admittedly enjoy when I go to because of the humor of it. But I, But I was in a dark place. And then... Ten Hag did the most obvious thing in the world. He benched Harry Maguire. <laughs> what I have been asking for since three days after Harry Maguire arrived to Manchester United. He benched Harry Maguire. He also benched Luke Shaw. That one, the feelings are much more mixed. To start Tyrell Malasia. Since that decision to bench Harry Maguire, Manny played Liverpool. Where we were thoroughly have been embarrassed by them last year. Manchester United beat Liverpool with a goal by Sancho where Virgil van Dijk literally stood still and put his hands behind his back, <laughs> leaving both Bruno and Sancho with so much time that Bruno could point to the spot in the goal <laughs> he wanted to score. And then that cathartic, just damn-bursting goal from Marcus Rashford, and they beat Liverpool 2-1. After the game, Klopp said, yeah, you know, I wasn't a fan of the way Manchester United played, and, you know, they were the time-wasting tactics, and, you know, he just bitched and whined, and, well, you lost. Then, okay, I'm expecting a letdown game. Southampton comes up, Leicester City, we've, in their last five games against Leicester City, uh, man, you have won zero. Beat Southampton, 1-0. Beat Leicester City, 1-0. Again, same defense. Varane, Martinez, Malasia, Dallow. Not crazy about Dallow, but okay, he's doing okay. Okay, these are games Manny should win. Bruno getting a goal, looking good. Sancho, another goal. Okay, he's looking good. Then the Arsenal game comes up, and I am concerned. But you know what? Anthony. Our new, my new toy, my new Brazilian winger, with just he's got he's got tricks for ages. Reminds me of when Ronaldo first signed for Manu many moons ago, and he gets that debut goal, and the way he just kisses that badge, the swagger, the arrogance, I just, I loved it. 
And Manu again, solid performance. Rashford with a brace, hitting them on the counterattack. And, and the fact that two of the goals, Erickson actually was in, had two hockey assists, the, the secondary assists, but Erickson to Bruno, boom, the quick play. Martinez is a little bulldog. He may be short, but he's fucking is a warrior. He's still short sh- king summer. Short king summer. I don't know, man. I listen. At the end of the day, it's just a very temporary happiness because I know the rug will be pulled under me very, very soon. That's just that is what it is with Manu. But the last few weeks have felt nice, and Ten Hag, you know. After that, Brentford lost, made the, and he actually himself, he made the Man U players run. The distance they were outran by the Brentford players, and he himself ran with the team. But there's something to be said about a, a manager who's like, you're going you're gonna to have to work if you're going to be at this club. And if you're not meeting expectations, I don't care if you're the club captain, you're going to ride the bench. Or if and you're the all-time club legend. It takes balls to not start Cristiano Ronaldo. Whether you whether I agree with it, I'm not necessarily going to get into that at this time, because that, that's like a whole other. That's like a yeah, that, that would be a podcast spinoff. <laughs> you cannot deny that it takes balls. Oh, absolutely. And I'll say this about Ten Hag, he's got balls. One thing that is bothering me: why isn't Casemiro starting? I do not know because Anthony started pretty much. Right away. I know. I don't know. I don't know why it's um, Eric. Are we? Are we a little concerned? I'm not going to hit the panic button yet. But if he doesn't start this weekend, then I'm going to be pissed. I guess it's hard to be too pissed while you're getting the results, right? Yes. But it's also hard to not be pissed when you keep having to watch McTominay. Yes. Though, you know what? He was really good against Arsenal because he bullied the shit out of them. Yeah. And they didn't have a single player who could stand up to him. So That's where where they were missing Parquet a little bit, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But things are looking up. I still have a... Again, I I am not going to get my hopes up with Man U because I know better than that. But... We'll see, we'll see. Things will. Things... Are, 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 are you are you are you checking the table already? Are you are you are you are you counting the points between between what us and sixth? Between you and fourth? No, and I, I still don't think we're going to finish in the top four. I don't know if this is going to be sustainable. Okay, what what if a couple of guys get injured and then you do have to play Ronaldo who you don't think fits in your system? What then? How are you going to be adaptable? I don't know. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I don't know. Things are working right now, but it's like, if Martinez or Varane goes down, well, there goes the fucking defense. <laughs> if Dallow goes down, then fucking back to Juan Basaka. And that's kind of, that that's its own dealer's choice in and of itself. But, things are looking good. Um, we're not an embarrassment right now. And so I'm happy that we're not an embarrassment. But speaking of embarrassment, let's talk about Liverpool. I'm clear. I'm clearing out. This is all you, buddy. No, no, no. I, I'm going to need you to uh, chime in on the seventh-year clock theory. <laughs> so after their loss to, to United, they dismantled Bournemouth 9-0 in a game that should have been called at 7-0 for the mental health of the Bournemouth players. In, in a game where I think Bournemouth decided they were sacking Scott Parker at halftime. Yeah. 
I thought that was a really harsh sacking considering that he lost games to all teams you would bet money Bournemouth to lose games to. Yeah. And that early, I thought that was pretty harsh. It's rough. They then got a very lucky 2-1 win against Newcastle where Newcastle's new signing Isaac scored on his debut. Yeah. And then Liverpool got like 55 extra minutes to score. Yeah, I think it was, well, they were like five minutes of stoppage time and they scored in the ninth minute. Uh, Newcastle had been time wasting all all game, but like, would did they time waste five minutes in, in one stop? Wait, did they, did they one time, time waste five minutes in five minutes? Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's, that's a good point. So like, once again, it seems like these referee decisions are helping the FA's big team darlings, Klopp and Pep. Then okay. I will Chelsea say too. the worst result is actually not being able to score a goal against Everton. Because they just played their two biggest rivals, lost to Manchester United, and then could, and then 0-0 draw at Everton. Not only did they fail to score at Everton, Everton actually looked a good team. Which is not something we've said about Everton in a very, very in, long time. Over The first time of the last two seasons, easily, hands down, Everton actually had a goal that was called back by very marginal offsides very marginal, like, was called a goal, was Vard off, kind of against the spirit of why VAR was brought in in the first place. One of those that really felt like a one nothing Everton that Liverpool escaped with a point. Now, Liverpool have quite a few injuries right now, but there's a theory. I didn't start the theory, by the way. I discovered the theory. You never start these. You just find them. I find them. They make their way to me. It's the the seven-year Klopp theory. And the way the theory goes is that Klopp can fool a club, the media, and his team that he's a good person for seven years. But in the seventh year, eventually people become wise that he's a fraud with nice teeth. Seventh year, let's look at his career. His seventh year at Mons, they were relegated, and he leaves when he can't get them promoted. Just kind of a thing about Klopp. When the going gets tough, he leaves. Dortmund finished seventh and lose in the Pokal Cup final. He leaves. That's the seventh year at Dortmund. Seventh year at Liverpool, the worst start to a season during his entire tenure there. And by the way, go look at the team he had six years ago. And then think about that team having a better start to a season <laughs> than this team. That's like Loris Karius is the goalie, right? Yes. Yeah. So, it's just interesting how he seems to uh, have these seventh-year slumps. Where, I don't know, maybe people get tired of his bullshit and all his whining. Kind of, I'd be embarrassed if my manager complained and had an excuse every time he lost and could never just say, the other team played really well, we were outplayed today. Like... Sir Alex has said that before. I was, you know, they outplayed us today, you know, credit mm-hmm. to them. Never see Klopp here say things like that. He always just makes up the most ridiculous bullshit excuse. They didn't play They didn't play an actual game of soccer. Or they were doing something else or the pitch was shit. Yeah, he, he's always got a wheel of excuses um, that often insult, like, professionals who are not directly playing in the game, which is a whole other issue that we have discussed before. So, it's a kind of a fun Premier League right now because, you know, City and Tottenham look good. Arsenal look good. Then they Arsenal got good. stumped. 
Man U started the season dead last, and now they're okay. Maybe they're looking good. But Chelsea they kind of they, they they passed the shit to Liverpool. Liverpool kind of have that stench on them now. Chelsea's wavering. Chelsea's not in a bad spot on the table, especially this early on. But they're teetering. Yeah, and it's it's it is. You're right. It is a very interesting and fascinating time to be following the Premier League. I have no doubt in my bones. You know when we get halfway to the season or three quarters of the season, City will have, I think, a, a decent cushion on the rest of of the pack. But two through seven could be fascinating. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, and some upcoming fun ones. So this weekend, you got Fulham-Chelsea. First game without Tommy Tukes. Yep. And as we've said, Fulham is going to be a tough game for any team. Man City versus Tottenham, which these two teams could be fighting for a title. I, we, we, yeah. It wouldn't be crazy. would not be crazy if Man City and Tottenham were in a title fight. Leicester versus Aston Villa, and this one more about the bottom end of the table, <laughs> where both teams desperately need to win. Both managers doing what they can to hold on to their job. Yeah, I feel like Brendan Rodgers or Steven Gerrard will be the next manager fired. I'd be shocked if it was anyone but one of those two. Actually, I think I think the the Merseyside draw really did. I think boosts Frank Lampard a few more weeks. Week so then week after that, Man United Leeds, which will be a fun one. Reunited historically, not like to be pressed. Brentford v Arsenal, a little London derby action for you. That'll also be a fun one. Brentford, you never know which version of Brentford you're gonna get. Yeah. Um. Now this one though. Chelsea v. Liverpool, who do you think needs the win more? Chelsea or Liverpool? I think it's going to depend on how the week, this week's games go. Yeah. Fair and point. how, you know, I mean, they both had did not have uh, a good outing in the Champions League this week. Which is a perfect segue what? to our Champions League preview. I'll do a uh, preview recap kind of hybrid here because... We did not pod before the first match week started, but but we did sh- we did write up and share our kind of takes on the groups and our favorites to win, and we sent them to each other before the first games kicked off. So Indeed. these takes came into play before any Champions League soccer occurred. Uh, so we'll kind of go through the we'll go, we'll talk about our big three that we think are going to win it. And then we'll go through our picks for the group stages. Most of our group picks were identical, except, except for except for two groups. Yeah, and we'll call those, we'll call those out. So, my three teams to win it all are Manchester City, Real Madrid, and AC Milan. Now, I'm not really picking AC Milan, but uh-huh. I wanted Eric to have that moment. That he has uh-huh. given me on this podcast time after time. After no more time, than five. No more than five times <laughs> after time, where he picks Man U for something that Man U clearly cannot accomplish. Hey man, I think Man U's got a shot at top. <laughs> I'm so upset. Really, my picks are Man City, Real Madrid, and PSG. <laughs> I'm so upset. No, I don't actually believe it's going to happen. So don't worry. I already issued my retraction last time we podcasted, and then you guys turned it around. 
And so I want us to stay exactly at where we are. I don't want you to then put some of your bullshit Juju McGumbo on them. Don't worry. We're talking about Champions League. I can't talk about Man United. Ooh. Ooh. That one cut deep. Don't worry. You guys are going to get more wins in Europe than we are. My top three. Like you, I'm taking Man City. It's hard to say that Holland and De Bruyne are not going to perform. They're going to score. It's also hard to say that Don Carlo and Real Madrid are not going to compete because... They got Benzema and Vinicius. Until they don't, they're going to. And then my third team, I took Bayern Munich. You know, they they are. I think they are offensively weaker without Robert Lewandowski, the second best striker in the world. But everything else about them is just as good, if not better, than they have been in the past. I think that's fair. I str- I struggled with Bayern and PSG. At the end of the day. In my mind, like, at some point, PSG has to be too big to fail. And it's like, you can, you can only, like, at some point, like, that owl has to work, right? I mean, because yeah. we talk about these other teams. Oh, how could you bet against, you know, Holland and Kevin De Bruyne? How could you, it's like, how could you bet against Mbappe and Neymar and Messi? And they're just, they're just stacked. Because the biggest issue I have with them is they've just installed a figurehead as, like, manager. You know, like, like. It's all puppets and strings above the player level with that with that club. And there's some drama between like Messi and Neymar being really close and Mbappe wants Neymar gone, but he's not gone and they found out. Like there's all this stuff and it's and now it's like the memes are Messi and Neymar are the older brothers making sure Mbappe scores so he doesn't go cry to his parents and get them all in trouble. Like it, it, there's just there's just too much of that going on, and at the end of the day, I still view all three of those players as supremely talented individuals. Whereas when I think of Man City, I do think of the, not necessarily the team, but I think of the connection of of Holland of Holland from De Bruyne. I know, I know. We just but, said Neymar has seven goals, I know, seven assists. I know. Who, who do you think he's giving these assists to? Honestly, I think he's passing them to himself and then scoring. That's why he's got seven goals and seven assists. Doesn't that sound more like the Neymar you know? That, that sounds like the Neymar that I despise. <laughs> that I know and despise. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I feel pretty solid that one of those four teams is going to win. Yeah. I think anyone else would be really shocking, truthfully. Which is what I'm really hoping for. Let's go Club Bruges. <laughs> Which is literally just the first name that popped up to me on the outline. Oh, the, fir- the first name popped up to you was in Group B and not in Group A. Uh, well, it's kind of so, more, I'm kind of slouched. It's kind of more in the middle of the page for me. Uh, let's, let's go with Group A. We'll cover our, this is actually one of the groups that we have a slight divergence. We do. Uh, the teams in Group A are Ajax, Napoli, Liverpool and Rip Rangers. Rangers were eliminated from this group the second the groups were announced. Yeah, but like, you know, it's you could be like, bad. oh, their first their first game is against Ajax, which Ajax is a talented Champions League experienced team. But at least they're not starting against Liverpool or Napoli, right? Maybe they have a chance. Well, you'd be in for a rough surprise. 
or nothing later to Ajax's favor, Rangers are out. Um, Donnie and I both picked in no particular order Liverpool and Napoli to advance out of the group, but we differed on the finishing order. I felt that, and this, once again, these submissions happened before anything happened today or yesterday. I thought that Napoli had a better had a better start to their season, and Liverpool have been in a bit of a rut, so I took Napoli to finish top of the group with Liverpool second. And I took Liverpool first, Napoli second, thinking that the first two match weeks will go by, there'll be an international break, and there might be enough time for the Liverpool team to get healed up. and Yeah, and definitely plausible. Clock to fix themselves, but things did not look so good for my prediction when Napoli laid down the hammer and destroyed Liverpool 4-1 today. I mean, this is why I'm, like, seven, again, 17 o'clock. So, Joe Gomez got subbed out at halftime, was utterly exposed. Virgil van Dijk was gifted uh, a, a break after he clumsily conceded a penalty that Victor Oshiman failed to concede, or failed to convert. Brutal. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold got absolutely worked on the byline for the third goal. The only defender who didn't get exposed for Napoli was uh, um, fuck, Andy Robertson. Um, and like he didn't have a great game. He just didn't get absolutely worked. He just looked like a colossal failure. <laughs> Napoli looked good. Not just, I mean, Oshiman subbed out in the first half of an injury. That is a concern. It looks like it could have been a hamstring, but Anguisa was really good. They had a, a recent signing from uh, the country of Georgia. I can't pronounce his name. There's a lot of V's and K's in there. He was phenomenal. Um, this looked like a Serie A team playing a Serie B team. That's how bad it was. I love that you just described Liverpool as a Serie B team because truly to me, there is no greater insult than being a second-tier team in Italy. <laughs> that, that is truly the worst thing you could say about a soccer team and just hearing for you say that made me so happy. Um, yeah, I pretty much piggybacked with everything you said. So with that... Honestly, the the my, my biggest overreaction from in this group from Game Week One is Ajax might have something to say about Liverpool finishing ahead of them in the group. That is true. That is true. That is sweet. So Group B, we have Atletico Madrid, Club Bruges, Porto, and Bayer Leverkusen. And on this one, we both have Atletico Madrid going through as the number one team in the group, and Porto going through as the number two team in the group. Um, match day one, Club Bruges were lucky, in my opinion, to get a 1-0 win against Leverkusen because Patrick Schick had a goal called off that was, to call it a centimeter offside would be just... It would be the smallest, the smallest centimeter in the history of centimeters. It, it, it was millimeters. Of, it, was, it, was, it was by the edge of a toenail. Because the human eye can obviously not detect that. That went to VAR. And so this is kind of like, VAR is out of control. It's out of control. It's... It's aggressively against the spirit of why it was implemented in the first place. And that was one of the big reasons we were against the implementation of it in the first place, was it would not be leveraged in the spirit that they are discussing it to be. And it's just been used for all these bullshit technicalities that, like, being one millimeter offsides gives you no advantage to being onside. Being a foot offsides gives you an advantage. Um, it, 
by the time when we're talking about less than an inch, at that point, you're on sides. You're just on. Yeah. They need to increase the, you know, the margin of error. To it, it's it's just bad. It's bad and fuck far. Interesting note: Atletico and Porto were both in the same group last year, uh, in the group with Milan and Liverpool. Yeah. So they're just kind of a, an interesting <laughs> um, tidbit there. Their their match today. Uh, Atletico won two to one, where all three goals came in stoppage time, which is something you do not see very often. And we had a red card and a penalty, so this was the Diego Simeone special. <laughs> yeah. um, but Antoine Griezmann, who was a late sub, now I wonder how stoppage time works into the I calculation. Don't, I of the don't minutes. know how that. He got an extra eleven minutes. I know. Uh, Griezmann did hit the winner, um, coming in off the bench, as we discussed that situation before. But um, you know, that's a tough. That's kind of what we expected in the one-two matchup to for Atletico Madrid to have the slide edge, and yeah. I still think when Porto will get their points against Club Bruges and Leverkusen. I um, agree. Okay, the next group is also a very fun one. Spicy group. Go ahead. Barcelona, Bayern Munich. Fun little, uh, you know, Robert Lewandowski uh, battle there, and then rounding out the group, uh, Victoria Plezen. And this small little newbie club called Inter Milan. And again, in this one, we're the same. We both have Bayern going as the group leader and then Barcelona. And match day one kind of played out that way. Yeah, played out the way. I mean, Bayern had a very easy, no frills uh, victory against Victoria. You know, gooby please. Uh, Victoria, happy to be there. <laughs> yeah. Bayern beat Inter 2 nothing. At, at Inter Milan, um, you know Inter, they weren't they weren't a pushover. They they put up a, a, a stout challenge for Bayern. Bayern proved to be too much, but it is not a given that Barcelona will finish ahead of, of Inter, especially the the second you know second match day in this group is going to be the Lewandowski Derby. So it'll be Bayern against Barca, and that leaves Inter with almost a guaranteed win against Victoria. You know, pleasing. Um, so very well could see, you know, a three-team fight for first, second, and third all the way down to the wire in this group. Yeah, the third place, this third place team also has a shot at winning the Europa League. The third place team out of this group, seriously. Absolutely. Um, a couple of notes. Lewandowski had a hat-trick, which was his third hat-trick in the last eight games. That's stupid. Yeah, that's absurd. Fullback Joshua Kimmich played such a beautiful ball. He played as a midfielder. <laughs> but he is a fullback in his he, core. He hasn't been a fullback in years. Once a fullback, always a fullback. Everywhere. Everywhere fullback? Even in the midfield? <laughs> Even in the midfield, he was a fullback. And Leroy Sané just took it with such oh, great man. control. Just kind of like got the angle on the keeper and just slotted it in. It was a great ball. I just wanted to say that that was a great ball. It was, it was an incredible ball. It was an even better touch. Uh, okay, Group D. We have Sporting, Tottenham, Frankfurt, and Marseille. This is the other group where we have some deviation, and this is the only group where we have two different clubs deviating, which right now is not looking so good for me. Uh, we both had Tottenham going in as the uh, group leader. Then you had Smartly Sporting, and I stupidly had Frankfurt. I say that because they played today, and Sporting 
absolutely shit bumped him three 0 It was just never a competition. Um, and you know, Frankfurt has just been off to a, a rough start, and I think there's a bit of a hangover from how intoxicating of a Europa League, uh, you know, title win they had last season. And sometimes, especially with these smaller clubs, and I'm not saying Frankfurt's a small club, but they're not in you know. European powerhouse, it can be hard to sustain that level of performance, especially in a tougher competition. Yep. And then uh, Tottenham left it late, but they took care of business with a 2 0 win against Marseille. They, they, they was... did get the added benefit of, of playing against 10 men for a good part of the second half. You know, they, they were, they seemed to be lacking ideas for a while uh, in terms of breaking down Marseille. Could be something to watch. But at the end of the day, Rich Arlison opened up his account for uh, Tottenham in his Champions League debut as he was playing for Everton before and not a lot of opportunities there. And got a brace, so good for him. Yeah. Okay, your group, Group E. Group E. We have Dynamo Zagreb, Salzburg, Chelsea, and the good guys out of Milan. We both have Milan finishing first and Chelsea finishing second bit of of uh, a clowning a tough match day for uh, our group favorites Chelsea as we've already mentioned lost one nothing in uh, in Zagreb in Croatia I and believe that that's pretty much the game that got uh two fired. fired yep and then Milan drew one one with Salzburg in Salzburg. Not how I wanted to start, you know, our, our opening. Definitely when the group was announced, I was like, fun matches against Chelsea and then get our points against, you know, the other two. That being said, Salzburg were unbeaten at home in the Champions League last year, and they they hosted Bayern Munich as well as a few other teams. So they have never been pushovers. Um in, at least they haven't been the last few years in this in this, this competition. So getting getting the points not bad, um, but what happens next needs to be wins or it's gonna be butt clinch time pretty soon. Interesting note: uh, Dest actually came on as a sub in that game and made his debut for Milan, and that marks the first American player to play in the Champions League for three different clubs, as he's done for Ajax, Barcelona, and Milan. Just. And he's only 21 years old. So just we had two kind of significant firsts. Yeah. Um, I just thought that was an interesting tidbit. Group F, we have Shakhtar Donetsk, Celtic, Real Madrid, and Leipzig. Uh, we both have Real Madrid going out as the group leaders. They are the current holders of, yeah. of said Champions League. They're Real Madrid. They have Don Carlo, Benzema, Vinicius. And then we have both had Celtic coming out of the second place group. And looking at match day one, um, Shakhtar Donetsk beat like living. I mean, Leipzig's woes continued because they just destroyed this, them. This was the game that got Tedesco fired from Leipzig, yes. by the way. I do, I do believe Leipzig will finish fourth in this group. It certainly seems that way. And then Real Madrid came out with a 3-0 win against Celtic, where actually Benzema was injured early. And Hazard came into the game and scored a goal, scored an assist, and had a secondary assist as well. So Hazard had it's kind of a throwback game for him. That's Eden Hazard too, not you know, not 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 not, not Thorgan, but Eden. Not the somebody more relevant Hazard now. Somebody we haven't talked about, you know, since old Ben Kenobi was called Obi Wan Kenobi. So um, 
that'll be an interesting group. And also at Celtic, we have uh, an American uh, there as well, and Cameron yeah. Carter Vickers. Um, he listen. He Vinicius put him in a spin cycle. Vinicius will put much better defenders than Cameron Carter Vickers in a spin cycle. Vinicius is that yeah. good. That's not. Yeah. That, that that's not a knock on a defender for getting burned by Vinicius. He's fucking incredible. Yeah, seriously. Uh, group G. The G spot. I think this is an interesting group, but not not from top to bottom. Um, Manchester City, Dortmund, Sevilla, and Copenhagen. We both have City one, Dortmund two. City will one hundred percent win this group. They may win every single game. They may win every single game by a lot of a lot of goals to, to not many goals. What I think is interesting is going to be that Dortmund Sevilla battle for second place. Yeah. We definitely think Dortmund have the upper hand. Uh, they look very competent and good against Copenhagen, uh, but Sevilla know how to play these not these comp- these European competitions, yeah. and it will be I think fun to watch the two of them go at it. I totally agree, and it'll be also this is a little like we have in the other group the Lewandowski Derby. This is the Holland Derby as he will be playing his former team Borussia Dortmund. Funny how the the random drawing of balls you know made those those, those groupings. Yeah, crazy how the random ball drawing created such interesting storylines so randomly. Wild, yeah. Okay, so our final group is Group H, where we have Benfica, where John Brooks now plays, PSG, Juventus, where Weston McKinney plays, and Maccabi Haifa. Where their goalie is a U.S. goalkeeper. 30-year-old U.S. goalkeeper who actually gets minutes. He, yeah. <laughs> I just thought that was an important thing to uh, we both have PSG advancing out of the group stage, um, and both have uh, Juventus. Juventus, yes, there was a there was a bit of a typo on the outline that threw me for this, but we both have Juventus in second. And match day one, uh, Benfica beat Maccabi Haifa two zero. I do not think they will win a they will get a single point. I don't know if they're gonna get a goal. <laughs> that too. Uh, PSG and Juve played a fun one. It was the Mbappe show for PSG with a brace and some great... Uh, Neymar had an assist and Hakimi had another assist. The one-twos between Hakimi and Mbappe, I just... It's, just... it's just so much speed. It's just so much sauce. It's so much speed. It's just so much sauce. Uh, but... Halftime substitution. Weston McKinney comes on, and if anyone has to score a goal for Juventus, I know you want it to be Weston McKinney, and he got a great header... I mean, it was a. It not only was a great header. Donnarumma came out, completely misplayed the ball, flailed around, flailed around like one of those wacky inflatable arm things at car dealerships. And Weston slotted. You know, he was like a couple players deep too. Uh, but he, that kid just latched his head onto aerial balls. It's amazing. When you score, listen, when you score a header in the Champions League against PSG, it's a great header. I don't know. It, that was like he like, he was behind a couple of different like the fact that he got to the ball was just impressive in its own right. Uh, the fact that Donnarumma looked like an idiot while he was doing it just makes it even better. So that is the Champions League. Uh, we'll be obviously adding that to our um, you know per episode recaps going forward. Very excited for it. Excited to see what happens, and um, it's going to be a very fun soccer season, I think. Yeah, and then. On top of all that, we are so there's it's September right now, October, and then we're in the World Cup month, which is so weird to even say. 
but it is what it is, and that's coming. And so that should be on the... Uh, gird, gird your loins. Yeah. Um, anyway, you can follow us on Twitter, at OngoPod. Instagram also, OngoPod, though I don't think we've posted on Instagram in a very long time. And also, if you have any questions for us or any topics of conversation you want to spark, any sort of debates you want to start between us, you can find us uh, for OngoPod at gmail.com. But yeah, that is the episode. Bye. Bye. It's an goal! It's a gift! Well, he's almost done well to get that in because he's ahead of the near post. It's almost behind him. Sticks his left leg out. It almost hits his heel. It goes straight into the bottom of the corner. Bottom corner of the net. Gets ahead of the ball. It's the inside.